So what will you learn on today's show? Real estate. One couple said they scored a great deal on a home that actually had, wait for it, a door in it in New York City. Is that a deal? What is a good real estate deal? We're talking house hunting bargains with our friend Farnoosh Tarabi, the host of the So Money podcast on today's October 15th edition of Money with Friends. Welcome back to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement in Texarkana, Texas. I'm Joe Saul Sihai. And I'm Farnoosh Tarabi, host of the So Money podcast, and as Joe likes to call me, a professional talker. <laughs> you are a perfect, you're a great talker, Farnoosh, and a great thinker as well. This is the <laughs> podcast where we cover recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today, we're going to tackle one from the New York Times. Not only do we read through them like some podcasts, but we're going to dive into how they affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, and pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, we're going to share a big idea at the end of today's show you can take with you to be better with money the rest of your day, all in usually less than 20 minutes. And I'm so happy to have her here. Farnish Charabi's with us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. I'm in New Jersey. I moved to Montclair from New York City. Um, and we've been here since May. And, you know, uh, I look forward to when the clouds really part and we can actually go into the town and really experience it and meet our neighbors. But for now, we're enjoying the house and the yard. And, you know, do you feel like you just... scored a great real estate deal when you got your house? <laughs> We do. And I, you know, this is a nice transition to the story that I want to share with everybody, but yeah, I mean, I think what, what constitutes a deal is so personal, right? You, you, everybody, everybody chooses a home for a different reason. We do actually think that numerically we did score a deal on this, on this property because we made the bid for this home you know, particular on a particular week in March, 2020, that like everybody was just hiding. Did something out, happen in know? March? Uh, yeah. Like, so it was right when everything was turning. Yeah. And like New York city had declared an emergency, everybody's home quarantine starts officially markets plummeting, you know, 900 points in a day after day after day. And so we had already begun the house hunt in February and we were not lucky. We had actually made a couple of bids outbid because of the spring market had officially started and no one thought there was going to be a pandemic. So people were just buying as usual. Then March hit and everybody just kind of got scared and went on the sidelines. But yes. we, we, a house came on the market that checked off all of our boxes. We had the equity from the house that we just sold in New York City. So we were like, I mean, if the world's ending, we should, whether the world's ending or not, we still need a home. And especially now because we're, we were living in a very small rental with two kids, everybody's home all the time, you know, the quarantine. So we had this sense of urgency, like, ne like never before. And we, we put a bid on this home and we were basically the only ones to do that. And we got this house at, at asking price, which does not happen in this part of the country. And weeks later, when things started to, to sort of, you know, thaw and people were coming out again and open houses were back in, in the swing of things, homes were going for, you know, 50% above yeah. asking price, 25 people waiting in line just to see it. And so we feel like we really, not that I can't take any credit for saying like, Oh, we knew how things were going to come, you know, turn out. But looking back, it was the best week 
if you were ready to buy, that was the best week to make a bid. That's funny you say that because we sold our house in Detroit right on the other end of that. Once the once uh, uh, things were open again and people could actually visit your house with masks yes. on and they had to sign stuff that they didn't have right. COVID and all that. Um, we had our house on the market within three days of that. We showed it to nine people and had three offers uh, Amazing. It, it, in the first it, just in the first week. It was incredible. Sold our house in a week. And one thing I didn't mention is that when we had this home appraised for the, when we were going through the mortgage process, it appraised higher than what we offered. What bank appraises a home for more than what the offer price is? I mean, at most they'll just do ask, like they'll match sure. it. Right. Yes. But they were like, y'all got a deal like this, this home, you know? So, so when I say like, I actually know it's because I know, because if I wanted to take out a HELOC right now, I could, you know, do pretty well. You never see that. We had to go back and get another appraisal. We, we got a good deal too. When we moved to Detroit, but we had to go get another appraisal two months later. Cause I knew I had a good deal, but they did what you said. You know, the asking price is what the house is worth. So that's what the appraiser does is just puts that as, as the number. Hey, we're going to get into this piece now uh, from the New York Times. Let's see which one of our uh, friends is going to help us kick off today's show. This is Tara from Rise Up. It's time for today's headlines only at Money with Friends. All right. As Farnoosh alluded to earlier, she brought this piece to us. It's uh, from the New York Times. It's written by Stefanos Chen. And the title of the piece is that New York real estate is on the mend. Uh, he writes, the recovery is tenuous, but renters are returning. Buyers are getting deals. And those who stayed are finding a measure of vindication. Uh, the suburbs have had their moment. New Yorkers who left at the peak of the pandemic are starting to come back, lured by a range of discounts and a sense, albeit tenuous, that the city's on the men. The city's far from over COVID-19, but residents are returning to find deals on bigger and better apartments for less, especially in Manhattan's crowded rental market. Buyers are moving to Brooklyn and Queens to take advantage of near record low mortgage rates and relatively lower prices. I want to just scroll down and mention one couple that uh, we want to talk about here. In June, Derek Sathoff and his husband, Manuel Perez, both 37, left their cramped studio rental in Chelsea to move to Miami to be closer to family there. The couple who work at One Management, a talent management agency, expected to stay at least until the end of the year because they could work remotely. But while away, they learned of a new vacancy in their Chelsea building, a sunny 900 square foot, one bedroom on a higher floor, marked down nearly $1,000 from its pre-COVID price tag. They signed the lease sight unseen and return to New York in August. Uh, Mr. Setoff says, quote, pre-COVID, we wouldn't have gotten this deal. Noting the apartment was significantly bigger, newly renovated, just a few hundred dollars more expensive than their nearly $3,000 a month studio. We've never had a door before, he said, relishing the perks <laughs> of a true one bedroom. And you said that this, we've never had a door before caught your eye. I mean, God, talk about a side eye moment. Only in New York do uh, residents brag about having a door. No, a door should be part of the apartment. You brag about like a wine cooler, you know, or like views of the park, but not a door. But I get it because I lived in New York for nine years. And I remember in the last recession, 2009, I rented an apartment that was well below market, at, well, a previous market. And my husband and I, at, the, at that point, we were just dating. Uh, we were engaged. We moved into this 
one bedroom spacious just like these this couple i think it was like 900 square feet had a, its own separate kitchen and it was only until after we moved in we realized there was a half bathroom in the kitchen there was like this door that we completely we just thought it was like a broom closet yeah. we opened it we're like that's a full sink and a toilet you like, struck it rich we are royalty. We are New York City royalty. Um, we don't have to wait in line to go to the bathroom in our own apartment. This is incredible. So I get it. It's the little things when you're a New York City dweller that really uh, make you feel like you're living on, in a lap of luxury. But I, I think this is a really good sign, Joe, that the the rent the landlords are really realizing what is happening because I had friends in March, April, May, June, who were unsuccessful trying to renegotiate their leases with their landlords or just getting some sort of a break because the landlords, for whatever reason, they were optimistic. They didn't think that they needed to do that. And so those friends of mine had to leave, frankly. And now I think uh, the, the those who are the gatekeepers of real estate are realizing um, we need to address what's actually happening. People don't have jobs. Businesses are not coming back. And if you're going to live in New York and pay New York prices, but not have a New York to experience like what are you actually doing so they have to this is this has to happen this is step one if we're ever going to see new york we have a re-emergence the first thing that has to happen is affordable housing well that's that's the thing that worries me is that this piece seems very optimistic about the new york market and yet we know that when companies finally come back they're not coming back anywhere near in the numbers that they came back before. No. My my son in in uh, Seattle works for Microsoft. Initially, they told him to stay home until October. Then they told him to stay home till the end of the year. Now they've told him that he can probably stay home forever if he wants to. Right? Uh, he can he could just work remotely. A lot of companies going to some hybrid model probably forever. As we talk to different CEOs, I know you've talked to CEOs as well. They're not coming back. Doesn't this feel like when people say in the stock market to buy the dip? Right. And then the dip doesn't end up being the dip. It ends up catching the falling knife. Becoming the norm, actually. Yes. I think the opportunities right now, the best opportunities are for people that were mentioned in the article. These younger couples, people who work in the industries like art, music, creative industries where you have to go to work or you have to kind of be in that community. Um, we're, we're hearing now about developers in parts of New York like Soho, uh, the West Village Greenwich Village, where traditionally like that was where artists would go and live affordably. That's sort of what we're seeing again, where they're trying to build more affordable housing. There are some jobs that you just have to be in New York for Broadway. I mean, those will come back. It's going to take time. And so I, it's almost like the seventies. People are saying it's like the seventies and eighties again in New York city. Crime is up. <laughs> um, yeah. Rent is low. But so if you do have an ambition to be there for the next 20 years, or you can let your money ride out for 20 more years, you're probably going to do okay. You're going to, you're going to find that to be an investment in the end, in the end. I want to talk about houses and investment. I'm glad you brought that up because Adrian hanging out with us on Facebook says, I'll be house hunting in a few years after grad school with the intention to rent out a room to a two bedroom, two bath, considering a condo to avoid the yard work and less room to clean. I feel like if Adrian's going to stay there for a while, Farnoosh, I mean, is this really an investment or is this just where you live? And if you can afford to do it and it's a comfortable place to live, I mean, how much do you yeah. worry about getting a quote value? 
Well, right. You have to live somewhere, right? You have to pay a price to live somewhere. And if this is your primary home, most important is to just feel like you can afford it yourself. And it's something that you can comfortably afford within your budget. If you can also like to his point, like bring in a roommate, rent out a second room, whatever. I mean, that's just consider that icing on the cake. Um, but I think that sometimes we, we, we convolute the idea of becoming a homeowner with being an investment, right. uh, an investor. And, and that's not really fair to yourself yeah. to think that way because you might be disappointed in the end. Yeah. You want to make a good uh, investment decision, but it's really not an investment. And, and, and I hate seeing people move out of their house because it was part of the plan, right? <laughs> well, now I'm 65 in this house where I have all these memories and I really love it. I got to sell it because this was my quote investment for retirement. Not a great idea. Right. Uh, uh, Dylan says that Farnoosh and Joe are officially real estate fortune tellers. Yeah. Now. <laughs> well, you know, I've always said that I want to transition to real estate at some point. Like I, not now, don't worry. I'll still always come on your show and be the professional talker. But I think that my exit strategy in retirement or who knows, like my plan B is always to just get the real estate license and start selling. I am obsessed. That, that story in the New York times was in the real estate section. It's the first thing I read every Saturday morning. I just love to, I check houses all the time, even though I just bought a house, my husband's like, what are you doing? Uh, but I, it's for me, it's like watching sports. It's like following my sports teams. I follow these houses. I follow neighborhoods. I follow prices. The first thing I, I follow I'm in the morning is Farnoosh's uh, Instagram feed to find out, to find <laughs> out what, to find out what. I got, I got, proposed. What, I got I, a proposal on, <laughs> on WhatsApp. $5,000, I think. $5,000. $5,000. You could be a bride for um, 5,000 bucks to some random. It's a recession. He knows he's, he's speaking my language. He's, he's, the <laughs> prices are low now, Fardouche. <laughs> <laughs> Talk, talk coming but up with some swipe free is very valuable <laughs> these days. I tell you, I'm more interested in finding out what new words your kids are coming up with. Cause Bracco oh, something. Well, I, my son is six and my, my daughter's three and a half and, and she's very like advanced with her, with her speaking. But my son had a bit of a speech to like as when he was younger and now he's fine, but he still has some words that he uh, doesn't pronounce correctly. And I, I don't want to correct him. I think it's just so cute. He says things like, um, um, broccoli instead of guacamole technology instead of technology. Um, I think that's, them, that's what we yeah. should call it. Is technology, technology. <laughs> <Shmology>, <laughs> technology, technology. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's that thing we love to hate. And then he also says, um, remember with an N like instead of remember, he says, remember. Yeah. And, um, I'm sure there's like a whole, I got to start writing them down. People are like, write them down, record him because this is such a sweet moment. My brother and uh, my sister-in-law keep a diary. Whenever their kids say something really funny and they have eight kids, they, they write oh them down. But, but my brother and I have sat there with foamy beverages and just chatted going through his old book about stuff that the kids said over the years. And it's, and oh I've forgotten them all. I've forgotten That's them all. So Oh, great. Hey, back to this. So, uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Leslie, uh, our friend Leslie Tane from the Tane Law Group is hanging out with us on Facebook and says, asking is unheard of right now. My employee put multiple over asking offers on houses uh, that were way over and still wasn't having any luck. I think 
I think this is, if we're going to put some points on this, Farnoosh, I think mm-hmm. number one, I moved back to Texarkana, looking at price per square foot in your area, even though it's an imperfect metric, I think is important to see where this house is compared to other houses to see if you have bargaining power or not. And I think also looking at what price what price houses are going for versus what asking price is. Cause there's also to your point earlier, there's a perception of market here in Texarkana. You can get away with making a little bit lower, believe it or not, the hot market of Texarkana, yeah. <clears throat> you can, you can uh, do a little less, but in New York, you're probably going to want to come in over asking. Yeah. And honestly, if you're, if you're, you don't want to overbid. We, when we were in the market in February and we were one of five offers, six offers, I got worried. I was like, I know that I'm going to probably make an offer that's not going to be super high and exciting, but I also need to go back and get a mortgage and this house needs to appraise. And so there is that risk. And this is happening where um, offers are getting accepted, you know, 30% above asking price, but then the bank goes to appraise it. And they're like looking at their comps from six months ago, because that's, it's a bit of a, of a backlog and also a delay. They're not seeing these prices and they're not going to give you the financing. So you have to be prepared for that. And sometimes in really competitive markets, there are, there are no contingencies. You know, you can't like come back and be like, well, the bank didn't give me the loan. Yeah. yeah. The buyer's going to be like, well, I have your deposit and you got to make this happen. So you have to be really careful about that. The other thing is pricing isn't everything. I always say, if you know you're going to be in a bidding war, find out as much as you can about the seller. When do they want to move? Do they want to sell their furniture? Um, You know, who are these sellers? And and if you can make a case for yourself as like, you know, a family that's going to take care of the home. I mean, there's what's your narrative? Have that be relayed to them, because I think you're saying you're saying write a letter. Like, like write well, a letter just telling them about I don't who you say are. That because I don't know how legal that is. I, we wrote a letter, but I think in some states, the rules are different. Like you have to be very careful, you, you know, but certainly um, if your real estate agent is friendly with the other real estate agent, they'll talk. Right. And, and I think that that can always sweeten the pot if they know that this home is going to go to a family that um, is ready to move in, will take great care of it. Um, is ready to buy. We, we offered a 30 day close. So we were ready to move in. And that I think was music to the seller's ears. We also offered to buy all the furniture. We made it really easy for them. And that's the thing you want to write that in your offer letter. How, you know, I'm going to make this as we said, as far as inspections go, we're not going to come chase them and shake them down for money. If there's like, yeah. you know, a, Little a $200 things, problem. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. these things, they go a long way. And if you don't have the highest bid, they could still get you the, the, the accepted offer. It's funny. You were able to offer them quick move in when we bought this house that I'm in t- today is day two owning this house. And, uh, we offered them to try to get a better deal. Some Olive Garden coupons. Like we put them in the letter. <laughs> some, hey, uh, are you serious? Yeah. But like breadsticks, yeah. all they can eat breadsticks, but they saw right yeah. through that Farnoosh and it didn't, didn't work. <laughs> Have they been to Olive Garden though? I, I mean, I don't think they understand. They, they don't just, get it. Yeah. Well, you know, we still got the house anyway. We had to pay a little more. Hey, in, in just a moment, Farnoosh and I are going to have our takeaway from today's show. But uh, first, so what's the takeaway here, Farnoosh, about real estate? Whew, so many. One, I'm going to become a real estate agent. Uh, but I think you have to look at your home purchase as a long term 
situation, right? And not to buy into the hype. I'm sorry. You know, if you're going to be one of 80 bids on a home and you're worried, maybe you just sit that one out because that's crazy to me. It's like, I told my real estate agent during all the hype, I was like, do people realize we're not in a silent auction for a trip to Cancun? Like this is a home. People are buying, bidding prices that are out. They're never going to make that money back. I mean, we know that home is not an investment, but you're definitely not going to see these prices again. So maybe it does make sense to rent for a while, let things cool down and then strike. But, um, be, be, just be mindful of your long-term, uh, of your long-term needs and make sure that no matter what happens, you can make that payment yeah. every single month. It's, it's not about like cashing in. I, uh, I love what you say there because I think that especially if it's a home that we're going to live in, we become emotionally invested very quickly. And because of that, that's why we overbid, right? We're like, oh, well, this is the house we really want. I love Warren Buffett's uh, uh, analogy when it comes to stocks here, where he says, there's no such thing as a called strike. There'll be another one tomorrow and then there'll be another right. one and there will be another house that you'll fall in love with. So let this one go right. and then see if you can find the value. Yeah. I mean, I experienced it recently where we made a couple of offers on two other homes each time outbid, very disappointing. And I started to lose faith. And it was my agent who was like, a better one will be out there. Like, don't worry, just just be patient. Your perfect home is out there. If it's not this month, it's next month or next year. And it was. And it was. Yeah. Uh, I heard a rumor that, that you have a podcast. Ah, uh, yes. That's it's incredible. So Money Podcast, right. Who told you? I, I Well, I'm a big fan, you know. <laughs> well, uh, so tell me about So Money. So Money is five years in. We are a show, I, it's me, uh, basically, uh, and my guests. You've been on multiple times. It's a thrice weekly show. It's been uh, now 1,100 episodes. Can you believe it? This is why I'm a professional talker. But the, 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 you know, the conceit of the show is that, you know, we want to make money really accessible, but also talk about money in a way that we never have before. So you're not going to come on the show and learn about how to cut coupons and get out of, you know, credit card debt. Although, you know, we, once in a while we talk about that. It's really about how to shift your mindset around money, how to build wealth in with new strategies or different ways of thinking, bringing on guests from, you know, Queen Latifah to Jim Cramer to Joe Salcihai to talk about their lessons learned, hard lessons, and th sometimes things that you've never shared before. You know, we don't normally talk about money with like Margaret Cho and Queen Latifah and Tim Gunn, but they've got stories. And I want to expose all of that so everybody feels more connected to these people that we love, but also feeling not alone in their own money problems or money in their own money life. And then on Fridays, I answer people's questions about money. It's super fun. Suzanne Summers. Yes. Oh, come on up, come on up. <laughs> I grew up, I grew up on Three's Me Company. Too. That was my sustenance, you know, uh, probably too young to watch that show, but whatever. That was so um, fun though. It was so fun. You know, she has some amazing, she's a talker uh, and she's got stories about why she left Three's Company Yeah. and stories that, you know, um, to this day are, are resonating where, you know, she got fired for asking for more. John Ritter was making in the eighties. That was just hundred thousand dollars an episode. What? And she, she and Joyce DeWitt were making like, 
I think a fraction of that, you know, 10,000, 13,000. And people were coming and she could tell that she was a value to the show. People would show up to the live studio audience show dressed like her, Yeah, you know, and she was on the cover of People magazine and she was bringing in a lot of the ratings. And she's like, why am I getting paid? Not even half, but like this much compared to what John's making. And, you know, it's, it's the sort of story that today would be, Headline. It's still happening. It's still happening today. And she fought for herself back then. And I think she, in some way she was a trailblazer. I think so too. I thought that was, uh, I mean, all the episodes are tons of fun. They're really great. But th- so that, good. that one, I was like, Suzanne Summers. That was so, so I know, fun. Chrissy Snow. Yes. Yeah. And Anne Farnoosh knows how to say the word thrice, a word that I'll have to go look up after this. Yes. So that thanks to the New York Times. The New York Times featured the show <laughs> the, and they called it a thrice weekly podcast. I was like, I'm, I'm stealing that. It is gone. <laughs> Farnoosh will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to have more Money with Friends talk. We're going to talk about, um, believe it or not, I don't know if you knew this, Farnoosh, there's an election coming up and we're actually going to talk about who does better during election. Did you know there was an election coming? I had no idea. I did because I have my mail-in ballot ready to go. I just voted uh, a couple days ago and I got to now go take it to the official uh, mail-in ballot. So many roll your eyes jokes, so little time. We'll be back here tomorrow at Muddy with Friends. Bye-bye. This show's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends LLC, copyright 2020. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast and links to the stories discussed, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at moneyfriendspod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look out for our polls and quizzes. You could get a shout out on the show. We're well worth following. We promise. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or or any other videos or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor. These people on this episode, they're here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I am Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you here back next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Bam, nailed it.